Well, you can probably hear his voice. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. John Lennon was a dreamer, but the dream he expressed in his 1971 anthem, Imagine, is not a pleasant dream. It's a delusional nightmare. There's death, but if there's no heaven and no hell, there's no resurrection. And if there's no resurrection, there's no anticipation of everlasting life with God. In a captivating way, John Lennon invited his listeners to think about life without a resurrection. How would living for today look if there was no heaven, no hell, no resurrection? Lenin's imagine is more of a hopeless and depressing delusion than it is a good dream. Presumably, John Lennon died without any hope or comfort of the resurrection. The Apostle Paul said it right, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. As Christians, we are ridiculous fools if there's no resurrection. If there's no resurrection, all the hope that we have in Christ is just a sad delusion. Friends, we don't need to imagine, we don't need to dream, we simply need to believe the truth. To believe what is true, and in believing what is true, we will find hope and comfort for our souls when we're living and when we're dying. Don't imagine, don't dream, believe. Hope in the crucified and risen Christ, and you will have true comfort for your soul in life and death. Today, I want to give you something much better than John Lennon's dream. I want to give you the truth. Truth that will provide you unshakable courage, confidence, and comfort as you're heading home, heading to the hospital, or even heading to hospice. Our comfort in life and death, dear brothers and sisters, is that Jesus is our crucified and risen Christ in life and in death. In today's text, Jesus converses with intelligent Jewish men who had no true hope and comfort in life and death because they rejected essential truths of Scripture. First, rejecting core doctrines of the gospel heresy, puts someone at odds with Christ, with Jesus. I'd like to quickly verify a few important biblical truths from the Old Testament to really help you understand the Sadducees. When Jesus says the scriptures in verse 29, he's referring to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament reveals the resurrection of the body in numerous places. I'll mention two. In Isaiah 26, verse 19, the Lord graciously reveals, Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. 
In Daniel 12, 2, the Lord graciously reveals, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The resurrection is a prominent theme in the scriptures. The scriptures also teach us about angels and spirits. Again, numerous texts speak to this. For example, in Genesis 28, 12, the angels of God are ascending and descending on a ladder going up to heaven in Jacob's dream. Psalm 103, verse 20 uh, says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. In 1 Kings 22, a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord. Now, this all relates to Matthew 22, verses 23 through 33. The Sadducees who came to Jesus were wealthy and likely aristocrats, uh, religious and political leaders. Some high priests were Sadducees, and Sadducees were heretics. Several of their biggest doctrinal errors were that they believed that the soul dies when the body dies. And they denied the resurrection and existence of angels and spirits. Acts 23, verse 8 summarizes, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, no angel, nor spirit. Rejecting core doctrines of the gospel put the Sadducees at odds with Jesus, with truth, and with Jesus. Here's what happened, verse 23. The same day Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection and they ask him a question. And they proceeded to ask him a question about the resurrection, which they didn't believe in. All right, those cunning snakes. Well, here's what they said, verse 24. Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. They were right about that. Deuteronomy 25 explains that law, which to our ears today sounds very bizarre and weird. But in national uh, theocratic Israel, that law actually preserved the, the name of the dead husband and his property rights, preserved unity among the people of Israel, and showed kindness to the widows. But that law had nothing to do with the resurrection. The faulty way that they interpreted that law and other scriptures led them to reject essential doctrines of scripture. They were scripture people, but really bad interpreters of scripture. They continued, now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. So to the second and third, down to the seventh. This is a tragic story. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? Whose wife? Right? For they all had her. In other words, see how absurd the resurrection is, Jesus? If there actually is a resurrection, each of the seven husbands would have rightful claim on one woman to whom would she belong in your so-called resurrection. They thought their question was clever. Their bad interpretation of Scripture led them to faulty assumptions and actually unbelief. Cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons do the same thing today. Be very careful about bad interpretation. It strips people 
of hope and strips people of comfort. Kids, how many of you like Legos? Adults, Kevin, yes. Adults, how many of you like Legos? All right, yes. Legos are epic. Well, kids, there is, and you might know about this, uh, an Eiffel Tower Lego set. It's 10,001 pieces. Uh, and parents, you can get this for your kids for the low price of $629.99. It stands five feet tall, almost five feet. So how would it go, everyone, if a four-year-old tried to put together the Eiffel Tower Lego set? How, how would that go? It might turn out looking more like a shanty from Hooverville than it would the Eiffel Tower. Because a four-year-old doesn't fully know what they're doing with the pieces. They, they don't understand the instructions. They don't understand how to build. The Sadducees accepted the scriptures, but didn't really understand the scriptures. To say there's no resurrection, no angels, no spirits, is to reject essential gospel doctrines and the hope and comfort that they give. Rejecting the resurrection, which God revealed to them in the scriptures, put the Sadducees at odds with Jesus and actually prevented them from having any hope and comfort in the resurrection. Being Bible people, folks, it's not enough. It's not enough. They needed solid interpretation and they needed faith. Friends, Whenever there's a deficiency of faith in the gospel, there's always a deficiency in gratitude. Always. Behind every sin is ignorance or skepticism toward God's word. Knowing scripture, it's great. You should know scripture, but it amounts to very, very little if one does not truly know and believe what God is actually teaching in scripture. The resurrection is an essential doctrine of the gospel and is inseparable from our hope and comfort and godliness in this life. Folks, to have true hope, to have true comfort while living and while dying, we need confidence in God's promises. Confidence that Jesus is actually our crucified and risen Christ in life and in death. And this leads to my second point. Receiving the gospel by faith is true union and communion with Jesus. Faulty interpretations of scripture compelled the Sadducees to oppose Jesus. Conversely, true faith accepts as true all that God has revealed in scripture. True faith is confidence in the law and gospel revealed in scripture. True faith accepts, receives, and rests upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, resurrection, and glorification. Brothers and sisters, true faith actually unites you to Christ in life and in death. Paul said in Romans 6, 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. His resurrection is the guarantee of your resurrection. And death does not separate you from Christ. 
And not only do we have union with Christ by faith, we have true communion with Christ by faith. We have intimate fellowship with Jesus. We commune with Jesus as we journey through life. We commune with Jesus as we cross the threshold of death. Union and communion with Jesus continue after your pulse stops. If you've ever received a love letter uh, from your spouse, it's really meaningful to you only as much as you believe that your spouse loves you, right? If, if you don't believe your spouse, you won't find the letter particularly helpful and encouraging and meaningful. All scripture is meant to build your confidence in God's love for you, but you need to believe it. And this is why we take scripture uh, and doctrine so seriously here at Jerusalem Church. It's very important for us because believing the truth gives you confidence and comfort in Christ as you go about your daily routines, as you struggle through the challenges of life, and as you breathe your last breaths. Don't imagine, don't dream, believe the truth. Union and communion with Christ now means union and communion with Christ after your heart stops. Third, and this point also shows us how devastating doctrinal error can be. Rejecting core doctrines of the gospel is ignorance of God's truth and power. To reject core doctrines, core gospel truths, is to show ignorance and skepticism toward God's toward God's uh, truth and toward God's power. Even though they accepted scripture, the Sadducees didn't truly know God's truth and power. Their ignorance and unbelief made them wrong and hopeless. Jesus came right out and said it, verse 29, you are wrong. Or we could say, you go astray because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. You have to understand, these guys were into scripture. These were Bible guys, but they had faulty interpretations that led them astray from God, and Jesus corrected them. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. He confirmed the resurrection, the existence of angels, and refuted their faulty presuppositions with what? With the truth of how things work after the resurrection. The Sadducees were wrong, and Jesus refuted their heresy by clarifying that marriage is purposeful for this life only. Jesus didn't say, but are angels in heaven? He said they will be like angels in heaven. Angels are not married. Angels don't have families. God did not command angels to be fruitful and multiply, nor did he bless them with the ability to do so. Angels are entirely devoted to worshiping and serving God. J.C. Ryle said this, quote, like them, we shall serve God perfectly, unhesitatingly, and unweariedly. Like them, we shall ever be in God's presence like them, we shall ever delight to do his will. Like them, we shall give all glory to the Lamb. These are deep things, but they are true things, end quote. In the resurrection, human beings are no longer married, and the mandate to be fruitful and to multiply, it ceases. Luke records that Jesus told the Sadducees that those 
resurrected to life cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. And so I conclude three simple things. One, those resurrected to life are sons of God and distinct from angels. Two, those resurrected to eternal life cannot die anymore. Marriage and procreation are no longer needed to propagate the human race because all of the elect are saved. Three, I conclude from Ephesians 5 that marriage has always been typological. Typological. Marriage dimly pictures the profound union and communion of Christ and his bride, the church. When Christ the groom returns for his bride and consummates their union and communion, marriage, the type, fades away. It's, uh, we could think of it in a similar way to the cessation of animal sacrifices. Christ is their fulfillment. Okay, they are now forever unnecessary. In the resurrection, marriage is fulfilled by Christ consummating his perfect union and communion with his church. In the resurrection, we become like angels, unmarried to one another and fully devoted to our groom, Jesus Christ. The Sadducees, they were ignorant of these wonderful things. Jesus went even further to refute their heresy, verses 31 and 32, and as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. Now, some scholars believe that the Sadducees elevated the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible, um, above all the other Old Testament books. Now, maybe that's true. And if that is true, it's interesting that Jesus then took them to Exodus 3.6, a text that they would have considered authoritative. Jesus took them to Exodus 3.6 to show them how ignorant they truly were of God's truth and power. I'll explain Exodus 3.6 in my second to last point, but realize this, they didn't really know what Exodus 3.6 meant. And so they missed the doctrine of the resurrection in it, and they missed the power and faithfulness and comfort of God. And before I I move on, I want to emphasize a significant point from verse 31. Look again at verse 31. Jesus said, and as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? Think about that. Have you not read what was said to you by God? First, Jesus was saying that the written Old Testament is God's voice. God speaks through Scripture. People hear God by his Scriptures. Second, the Sadducees had read Exodus 3, 6 before, but they didn't truly understand it because of willful ignorance and unbelief, they heard, but they didn't understand. And that's true of many liberal Bible scholars today in many universities across the world. They know the Bible, but they don't know God's truth and power. Think back to what Jesus taught his disciples in in Matthew 13, 13 through 16. Jesus said, this is why I speak to them in parables. 
Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn and I would hear them. And that word turn is really, really significant. They plug their ears and they clamp their eyes to avoid God's voice and power and to avoid repenting. They didn't want to hear it. They don't want to repent of their sins. They just want to live in their sins. But then Jesus comforted his chosen, beloved disciples with God's sovereign grace given to them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. It's possible to hear and read the scriptures and not actually know or believe them. And not actually know and believe the power of God. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to open our ears by faith with faith. To reject core doctrines of the gospel is to be entirely ignorant of God's wonderful truth and power. How vital it is for you and me to to know and experience God's wonderful truth and power by grace through faith. I find it interesting that Mormons reject historic Trinitarianism and the ecumenical creeds that articulate it And they also believe in eternal marriage. Isn't that interesting? Muslims also reject historic Trinitarianism and also believe in marriage in the afterlife. Isn't that interesting? And isn't it interesting that both Mormons and Muslims have faulty interpretations of Scripture and supplement Scripture with other sources as authoritative truth? Rejecting core doctrines of the gospel is ignorant to God's truth and power. Our comfort in life and in death, dear brothers and sisters, is that Jesus is our crucified and risen Christ in life and death. Two more applications here. One, where do you expect to hear the voice of God? Where do you expect to hear it? Consider verse 29. Okay, we hear God's truthful and powerful voice in and through the scriptures. And the scriptures are God's tender and uh, tender encouragement, tender comfort for us in life and death too. In hearing Jesus teach on this, it may seem actually kind of sad for couples who have happy marriages. Okay, to know that they won't actually be married in heaven. And if that's you... If this seems like it's like, oh man, that's a letdown, uh, perhaps two thoughts will encourage you. One, try to understand the purpose of your marriage. It's meant to illustrate the loving relationship between Christ and his church. It's not the thing itself. It only illustrates something so much better, Christ and his bride, the church, in loving fellowship forever. Your marriage is momentary because a greater marriage will soon be consummated. Two, the love and pleasure that you experience in in marriage 
will be far surpassed by the love and pleasure that you experience in heaven, hopefully together with your spouse. Two believing spouses will love and enjoy one another much more in their unmarried state in heaven than when they were married in this sin-corrupted life. As good as marriage is, it cannot rival the intimacy, pleasure, and unity of fellowship with Christ together in heaven. And as you enjoy your marriage, remember, it's a taste of something far better. Fourth, receiving the gospel by faith brings true knowledge of God's truth and power. Do you want to know God's truth and power Want to experience his power? Do you want discernment? Do you want wisdom? Do you want to know how to make sense out of life? Out of death? Out of eternity? Do you want true hope and comfort in life and in death? If so, receive the gospel by faith. Don't imagine. Don't dream. Believe. Believe the scriptures, which are the word of your crucified and risen Christ. Receive the scriptures as God's communicating to you his truth, his power, and his instruction on how to live and die with hope and comfort. We, we can't pick and choose what we want to believe in scripture. That's not up for us. It's all true. We must receive it all. People get themselves into massive trouble by picking and choosing what to believe in Scripture, and they end up, they don't know God. The Sadducees did that, and they found themselves in opposition to Jesus. It's all intimately connected. It comes as a whole, so believe all of Scripture. Just listen to the heart of the psalmist. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Through the Proverbs, God tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. So what student who, who will get a good education walks through the classroom believing she has nothing to learn from the teacher? And so she drowns the teacher out entirely. Knowledge begins for the student when she realizes she has much to learn and when she gives her undivided attention to her teacher. Fearing and trusting God brings true knowledge of his truth, knowledge of his power. Augustine said this, and and maybe you'll have to go back and listen to this, but if you can write it down, it's great. This is really something to think about. This is profound. This is what Augustine said. I believe in order to understand. I believe in order to understand. And then centuries later, Anselm said it in like fashion, I do not seek to understand in order that I may believe, but I believe in order to understand. For this also I believe, that unless I believe, I shall not understand. Do do you get that? Do you understand that? Unless you believe, You will not understand. Brothers and sisters, our comfort in life 
And death is believing and therefore knowing and understanding that Jesus is our crucified and risen Christ in life and death. Now, verse 32 is breathtaking. It's the breathtaking summit of this passage, I think. It's Jesus' apologetic for the resurrection. And it comes from a right interpretation of Exodus 3, 6, which Jesus gives us. Fifth, God has revealed in his holy word that he is the covenant God of the living. Jesus, he repeated for them what God told Moses when he revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. That's profound. Do you understand this? And Jesus then gives the interpretation of that. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. That's what Exodus 3, 6 means. What's he talking about? And here's where elementary school grammar will help you grasp the hope and comfort of what Jesus meant. Hang with me here, folks. After Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had all died, dead, long dead, God revealed himself to Moses saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Not I was their God, but I am their God. Not past tense, but present tense. Two things. One, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive. Two, God continues to care for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their God. Now hang with me. Jesus said he is not God of the dead, but of the living. In what sense are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still alive? Their bodies are dead. They died a long time ago. But their souls live in the presence of God as they await the resurrection. And, and this is so important to realize, that God continues to be their faithful and covenant-keeping God. He has not abandoned them in death. After death, God perfects the souls of his children and cares for them in his glorious presence. And one day, God will raise Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all of his chosen people and will continue to be their faithful covenant-keeping God, the covenant-keeping God of the living for all eternity. There is hope and there is comfort in the good news of the resurrection. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob believed the covenant gospel promise of God. God promised them that he would always be their God and they would always belong to him. Romans 4.13 explains, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. Abraham Abraham looked beyond the land of Canaan to a better land, a heavenly country, a renewed world that he would inherit after death. Read about it in Hebrews 11. Abraham was looking forward to the resurrection to fully inherit what God promised the entire redeemed world. Old Testament saints were looking forward to a glorious, glorious resurrection where God would keep his marvelous covenant promises in the renewed world. I will be your God and you shall be my people. That's a forever promise and that's repeated throughout the, the scriptures. 
we get to Revelation 21, which is absolutely stunning and exciting. It mentions a new heaven and a new earth, and a loud voice from the throne utters these exceedingly good words. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Brothers and sisters, Revelation 21 assumes the resurrection. This is where resurrection leads, eternal comfort, well-being, and joy in the presence of God in the renewed world. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob believed this gospel covenant promise because God gave it to them, and God gave it to their offspring, and so they believed. Their hope and comfort was God's covenant promise. That's where their, their hope was. That's where their comfort was. God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, the son of promise. What a gut-wrenching story. It was through Isaac that Abraham's offspring would be named, through promise, through grace, through covenant, not through human effort. And as Abraham trusted in God, and as Abraham raised the knife to kill his beloved son, he believed that God would raise him from the dead. Hebrews eleven nineteen 19 says, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham believed in the resurrection. Abraham didn't imagine. Abraham didn't dream. Abraham believed. He believed God, and therefore he obeyed God. It's true, God is the God of the living God remains the faithful and covenant-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as they await the resurrection to receive the fullness of what was promised to them in the gospel. What, What Jesus told Martha in John 11 is absolutely true of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob And all the saints who have died, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they believed God. Though they died, they live. God remains their God. They belong to Christ, body and soul, as they await their glorious resurrection. They live and will be raised to live and never die again. The Sadducees didn't understand Exodus 3.6. They didn't know God's truth, God's power, or God's comforting faithfulness. Though they were Bible guys, though they were guys that probably people went to to get some counsel, though they served in the temple, they were unbelievers without hope. The late Billy Graham, he once said, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. What is your comfort in life and death? What is it? That God is the God of the living. 
He's your God now. He will be your God when you die. He will be your God when your soul lives in his glorious presence. He will be your God in the resurrection when your body raises and reunites with your soul, and he will be your God forever. There's a little refrain throughout Psalm 136, and it goes like this. His steadfast love endures forever. And that's meaningful to us because of the resurrection. Don't imagine. Don't dream. Believe that his love for you is now and forever. And so I come to my sixth and final point. Our comfort in life and death is that God is our covenant God in life and in death. The crowds heard Jesus refute the Sadducees, and they were astonished at his teaching. For how many of them was it the astonishment of faith? How many were comforted by Jesus' words that day? How many came to truly understand Exodus 3, 6 because Jesus unpacked it very succinctly for them on that day? Exodus 3, 6, brothers and sisters, it's meant for your comfort. Short, punchy, true, and immensely comforting. Believe it. Some of you have health concerns, significant health concerns. Your body, it's just not working right. Some of you are old. <laughs> I feel like I can say that sounds mean, but you are. You're old. You're old, and I'm getting old. And, and honestly, you can't do what you once were able to do. You've had to grieve that. And, and some of you have lost a loved one. You just miss them so much. Some of you are scared to die. You're just scared. Some of you struggle with the assurance of salvation. You don't feel ready to die. Some of you are struggling so deeply with besetting sins. Maybe it seems like you're not making much progress. Some of you are just flat out tired. And if you're honest, maybe you're just tired of living. Some of you are doing so well, like riding on top of the world that, that you're actually tempted to think about only living for today, following Lenin and just, just living for today as if there is no heaven above us and no hell beneath us. And for some of you, death is not far away. Here's what you need to know to live and die with true hope and comfort. Because of your sin, you deserve to die and suffer God's justice forever. That's what you've earned. That's what you've earned. You've earned that. But Jesus Christ was crucified and risen from the dead, and he earned eternal life with God for all who believe. For believers, not dreamers, I'm talking about believers, at their death, their souls are set free from sin and made perfect in holiness and immediately pass into the glorious presence of Christ. Their bodies remain dead till the resurrection, but on that wondrous day, their bodies will awake and will reunite with their souls to be fully and finally acquitted by God to enjoy perfect blessedness forever. 
The righteous shall be fully and finally delivered from death and death's curse. Through resurrection, God makes them capable of unbroken and undistracted communion with Christ in glory forever. This wonderful communion is this. The souls of believers are made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens, and they behold the face of God in light and in glory. They await the full redemption of their bodies, which are also still united to Christ. But the resurrection will come when they experience full communion with Christ as a whole and redeemed and restored person, perfected body and soul. Believe it. Receive that gospel with faith, but you must also know how that gospel compels you to live for Christ, to die for Christ, to live and die with true hope and comfort. You must also know that God's law is the glorious roadmap of your gratitude. You must know how to serve Christ because there is heaven above us. There is hell below us. There is something glorious beyond today. And Jesus is your crucified and risen Christ in life and in death. You must know how to love and how to serve Christ. Because there is a resurrection. And because the Spirit is changing you, brothers and sisters, even now into the image of the crucified and risen Christ. He will complete his work. God has said it in the scriptures, and you can take it to the bank. Don't imagine. Don't dream. Believe. Believe in the crucified and risen Christ and delight in the hope and comfort he gives you in life and in death.